there's been all these amazing um, periods of time at Nike over the years and some ebbs and flows. But can you guys talk about this time, you know, when you guys met just in terms of Nike and the culture um, and the leadership and your, your experience just being a part of all that? Mm. This was a really fun time, as I recall, uh, and not just because I was, you know, stalking this Chris Carl and making sure I ran, I, I just, you know, happened to run into him at various places throughout the, the campus, but it's 1998. And um, so you've got, I think at that time, you've got Charlie and Mark who are doing like the co-presidency bit. Mm-hmm. And I know for me, this was really a highlight period because the culture was um, just really one. It still had a little bit of that entrepreneurial spirit to it. Um, I mean, gosh, I was in equipment, so it really didn't get more entrepreneurial than that. We were creating something where nothing had previously existed and we were getting a lot of support to do that. Uh, we were getting the right funding. Um, and even though we were kind of the little, little engine that, that could, you know, we, we never felt like, um, like, like we, we always felt like we were cared about and, and nurtured and, and the business was really important. And so it was fun because, you know, they take some chances on up and comers. I mean, at that time, you know, uh, David Heath was the guy that had brought me in, uh, to say, how about we get you back out carrying the bag? Because I had, you know, been a sales rep after being an Eakin. And then I detoured a bit uh, into golf and and done some things over there. And, and so David Heath reached out and said, you know, what, how would you feel about being the head of the Western, Western Region Sales Force for equipment? And I remember just, just, you know, I said to him, wow, you know, do you think I can do that? And he said, yeah, and uh, big old Texas drawl. And and it was important for me to know that I had his support. But then I also wanted to know if I had the guy above him who was the head of all of sales. And it was a guy named Mark Mark Duggan. And I said, Does, is Mark Duggan on, on board? Uh, and he said, uh, I, no, I said, I said uh, am, I, am I Duggan's first choice? And he said, no, you're not. And I said, well, that's good. He's not my first choice either. Let's go. <laughs> well, the, fact that, the fact that Heath Barr had faith in me and then kind of fast forward, I moved into at this time when Chris and I were, were, were starting our courtship, um, I moved into a um, North America merchandising role. And the thing about that, as, as those who have grown up at Nike know, it, you know, these things were never established. So you know, you're, you've got the hood of the car up and you're, you're working, working the inner, the inner workings of the car as it's racing around the track. You know, that's how you're, that's how you're figuring stuff out at Nike. We didn't have merchandising and yet it was, you know, we want you to be uh, the head of women's merchandising. And it was sort of like, okay, well, let's figure out what that means. And at that time, a guy named Craig Zanin was, was heading that up. And again, just a super, you know, collaborative, charismatic um, guy. But I do remember landing in that role and prepping for a big meeting the next day that I considered to be my meeting. And I remember being up up all night and getting ready and, you know, as we do and and then getting to the meeting and Zanon taking the meeting over. And I remember thinking, wow, I thought this was my meeting. And here I've come from equipment where they really – you know, you didn't have people that, um, like it was, you were, you were going, you were, uh, they were betting on you basically. Uh, I didn't have all the experience I needed to be the head of Western region sales, but they bet on me. And so I was, I was accustomed to that and I had proven it out. And then I get into this big footwear monolith and, um, and that's not the case. And I remember actually saying to Chris after that meeting, just saying, you know, this, I don't know about this. I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little more maverick style than this. It doesn't feel right to me. It feels like I've got a tight jacket on that I can't, you know, I just need to bust out of. And um, I'm sure he was the one that said, you know, maybe you should talk to Zanin about it. 
And so I did. I, I approached him the next day and said, hey, I just, you know, I can't believe that you would want to invest in me in this big, big, meaty role that you gave me um, and then not let me do it. Like, you got to, you know, trust that I can do this. And it was great because he listened and um, he, he, you know, it, it didn't happen overnight, but he started to trust some decisions I was making. You know, he allowed me to make some bigger decisions and they played out. And so then it, then those decisions became bigger and bigger. And I really think that time period was a, was a launch pad for me um, with that kind of, you know, faith in what I was doing. That's how yeah. I recall it. I mean, I, you know, and I would just compliment it too with, you got to go back and think about what was going on in the nineties and early two thousands. And it, it was a, it was just a different uh, marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Nike still had kind of fresh in, in its memory, the, the fact that your, you know, Reebok had actually, you know, made a run and actually eclipsed, you know, the sales of, of Nike. Nike actually had, some kind of lean years some hard years that they were just coming out of and then had an incredible run through the nineties, uh, the sneaker wars, but the competition was, it, it really was like, you felt like everybody was collaborating and really focused on how to beat Reebok, how to beat Audi, you know, yeah. Audi was still, by far, you know, and again, kind of go back to my soccer roots was, you know, that was the thing is, oh, Nike's never going to get into this category. Audi just dominates, um, you know, and because of that domination, Audi still had, you know, between that, they had the equipment division uh, or line of product. Like they had some things that they were clicking. You had a lot of other sort of like third tier brands that actually were pretty strong and had niche, you know, categories. So Nike just wasn't as dominant. It was a, it had quickly become the marketing juggernaut and, and it really was that rebel. And I think people really loved that, embraced it. Uh, I think the other thing that really sticks out for me was just because the marketplace was so, you know, retail brick and mortar driven the sales force was so important for Mm -hmm. the company. I mean, you just heard some stories of, you know, some of the the leaders that we had back in sales, but just the entire, every sales rep was a really important position and they were highly regarded. I think that's Mm -hmm. kind of, we've lost that a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a huge amount of respect for the people that work in sales, you know, roles that were really brokering these relationships with these key, you know, retail partners and the collaboration between, you know, the sales team and the product team was really, really high. And that was always something that I got really excited about. And I think a lot of people really, you know, look back fondly on, on those days. You didn't have much, you know, many kind of people getting in the way in between, product and salespeople really collaborating together. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that because I think what you guys are saying is that obviously you had some amazing people to look up to, number one, but number two, the leaders that they that they were believed in your guys' skill set and gave you guys the opportunity. And I kind of that leads up to like, what's the most important factor to you both in regards to being a great leader or learning from a great leader, but then also trying to emulate that leadership within your guys' self. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, I've always struggled trying to like characterize what kind of leadership style, you know, I have. I think to be honest with you, you I've been a manager for a while, but it wasn't really even maybe until the last couple of leadership roles that I really started to really crystallize my personal approach. And um, one is, you know, I always lead with empathy. You know, to me, it, you need to understand, you know, your team, um, those around you. And, and I think for me, I always got, you know, really excited about kind of more of a transformative sort of, you know, uh, leadership style. I think with, within that, though, is just the ability to go out and just connect and, and talk and communicate with people and really listen. 
you know, this empathy is really, you know, reliant on, you know, truly sitting down and asking questions and listening and, and taking in the right information and, uh, not, you know, not trying to hear what you, you, you think you should or want to hear and, and trying to remove that bias and really just try to understand that, that other person's point of view and what's motivating that. And then you can try to find that common ground. And I think that's always really kind of guided me. I've always prided myself on being able to, uh, like I always called it sort of this uh, idea of this, this kind of organizational sort of, um, uh, agility, agility. Mm-hmm. and the idea that I can kind of have, you know, a conversation with a designer and then I can walk and go have a conversation with somebody from sales or an operations conversation. And I think it's just the idea that, you know, leveraging, mm-hmm that understanding of what those people, even though maybe I, I, if I hadn't worked in that type of a job, I think, you know, I, I, I knew how to connect with them, try to understand what's incentivizing them and what they're being asked to do and try to, you know, find that common ground. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think that's, it's such an interesting point about, you know, just enterprise leadership and making sure that, you know, you understand the consequences of the decisions you make within your function and how that would affect something else, um, specifically the consumer and the conversation you're trying to have with that consumer. And I think that might be, you know, at the root of some of the um, maybe difficulties of, of being, being such a big company. And then these functions, they, it's almost like the, the, the walls, the walls that sort of, uh, separate, you know, the lane, your lane with the other functions maybe has become built up in such a way that that's more difficult. Because I think what Chris talks about is, you know, back in the day, it, it just, well, it was almost an expectation. Yeah. It was organic and you crossed over and it was all about, um, just really understanding and, we've used collaboration a lot, but that's really what it was about. Um, for me, my first, you know, my first great modeling of leadership was my, was my, were my parents. Um, you know, I've talked about big Dave, you know, big Dave, high school basketball coach icon in the state of Washington. Um, and you know, a co- just the epitome of a coach you know, not, not a John Wooden, um, you know, transcendentalism, um, you know, I've taught you everything that I can, so I'm not going to coach during the game. So not on that end of the spectrum, not, not quite to a Bobby Knight. Let me check it here. <laughs> but maybe we're kind of like a little more in that sort of, sort of zone, you know, the plaid jacket and, uh, you know, pointing, yelling a lot. So that was kind of our household is just, you suit up. Is you that where you get, you get the pointing and yelling? From? The pointing and yelling comes from Big Dave, most definitely. I, did, I, don't, I didn't inherit the, uh, the, the drawl, the New Mexico drawl. But, um, I cut, you know, Chris and I have been talking about this a lot lately because leadership, it's so hard to, I think it's hard to define. And you, it, you know it when you see it. And you, and you hope you're putting it out there in the world. And I was talking about like, man, how would Big Dave like sum up leadership? And I, I came up with this suit up, show up, step up. And then kind of these surrounding rings would be serve and surrender. And that, for me, it feels pretty good. You know, I'll probably, probably sit with those a little bit, but that was our household. You know, you suit up you show up, you step up and you just, you get it done. Um, and then my mom was this, you know, um, just bright, fun, charismatic, uh, teacher, feminist. Um, and, and I think from her, my leadership really comes through in this idea of you can be or do anything you want to be or do. You, you just can, there's nothing in your way. And, um, and so I think the combination of those two for me just taught me that my voice is important. Um, 
I have a seat at the table always. And, um, you know, I, I have an opinion and I will share that. So I think that's the, the, yeah. those are the first leaders for me. I think for me, you know, I, I, you know, I, I have, you know, fantastic parents and, and they, you know, were, were setting a, a great example for me in a lot of ways, not necessarily in the leadership, you know, area. So for me, sports, sports provided, mm-hmm. you know, that, that opportunity to, to see, to recognize, um, leadership on the field, leadership with coaches. And for me, you know, my parents divorced when I was in junior high school, like tough time. And really sports was probably what pulled me through. And, and with that also just the recogni- recognition of how I want to live my life and, and, you know, being a leader on the field for my teammates, but also just, you know, again, seeing good modeling, you know, from good coaches and then seeing what didn't yeah. work with, with, with bad coaches. And, I just always remember just, you know, for me, it was, I always wanted to be the most coachable kid on the field and uh, something clicked in, you know, where I was always out trying to get more coaching and trying to find it. And I think that that suited you well to for a career at Nike. If you were willing to, even back in the nineties, early two thousands, not, you know, it was a big company, but not as big as it is currently. If you were, self-motivated and willing to go out and find, you know, the right, you know, leadership and the right uh, sort of modeling and the right connections and relationships, you know, you could kind of do just about anything you wanted to do. And then the point I was making earlier, just looking at Megan, you heard a little bit of her background. I mean, she's done everything from uh, product creation to sales, to merchandising, to HR. She's worked in golf, customer service, um, you know, I worked, I started in retail, then I was in sales, then I was in product creation. Uh, I've been in strategy. We've worked in different geos and, you know, that older, I would say really through the two thousands, probably right up until the reorg in 2009, that was kind of almost an expectation that you were expected to go, okay, if you want to be a PLM, have you been in a sales role? Have you carried the bag? Mm-hmm. Uh, have you, and I think what happened is one, you get this great cross section of experiences and people and different leaders you get to observe and work for. But, uh, two is you, you get to sort of build an understanding. So again, this empathy thing comes back into play of just understanding what different teammates across, you know, different parts of the organization are trying to do. And you could find that common ground. So. Yeah. Cause and effect. It's interesting. Um, one of the the most common questions I would get from, you know, what I call kind of the up and comers and the future leaders. And it it was male and female. And it was, it was always sort of that, you know, if you're thinking about maybe at an E band or S band and, you know, how do I get to X, you know, what, how do I get a seat at that table? And, and I always had the same answer and it was lead every day. You just, you just have to lead every day at this place. Like you, you don't, there's no days off. You lead every day. And, and then we'd kind of, you know, dig into that a bit to discover what that looked like for that particular individual. And almost every single time it came down to a few things. And one was, you know, sort of transitioning from being a great communicator, because you, you'd sort of hope by the time that you were at that sort of S-band level that, okay, pretty, pretty decent communicator. Um, You know, how do you transition from that to leading and influencing? And for me, that was like the secret sauce at Nike. If you can lead and influence every day, that is, you're going to have a lot of fun at this place. Lead and influence, lead and influence. It's like, you know, work through the pick, work through the pick. And then the next one would always be, well, you know, I, I get things done. And so we'd kind of talk through that and unpack it a bit. And, you know, so great. Like, that's so great. Delivering results is so important here. And now how do you transition from that into creating a vision, create the future? And, you know, if you can start to put yourself in positions where you're actually uh, part of the team that's architecting, um, you know, what we do next and how that looks, what's coming our way. Um, that we can sort of shuck and jive, um, 
into you know that the next sort of into an, a, another level, good, better, bigger. Um, that's going to put you in a really great position. And then the final one was always just be open for business, like continuously learning and developing. You know that that's Nike. You got to just always be open to learning new things. And it sort of harkens to what Chris has been talking about with this enterprise leadership. Like, God, I never did carry the bag, so I better go. I better go travel with some people who do, and I better learn as much about that as I can because I've missed that that stop and I can't go back and get it. So um, I think those are some other things that that just come to mind. But um, this idea of just lead every day. Yeah, I think you guys said it. it that those are the, the the kind of ingredients to make that special or secret sauce of of a great leader. Um, it's very difficult, you know, just because there's there's a few, far from few, I feel like that have it, like you guys yourselves. But it's like there's the other few that kind of learn it the hard way, and so. Um, I, I just put it into those kind of perspectives. The way you guys described it is is exactly how I would describe kind of that that word leadership. I would just like also it's funny because this is you know I think our seventh or eighth um, recording and I don't think it's come up yet. But um, you know within Nike everyone talks about the matrix, right? And it's being able to navigate all those different teams and functions that you guys were talking about. And I think you guys have this perspective, probably, I would imagine, where you saw that kind of potentially spring up just through the evolution and the growth of the company. And you guys were able to navigate that. Can you speak to a little bit about that? Just give some context around what that meant to you and how you really kind of thrived within the development of what we call the matrix at Nike? For me, I think where I kind of go to with that is I was always kind of this head down, do great work. And the work will always speak for itself. They'll always find great work. And 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 that that's the reason for being there. It's not a, it's not the, um, uh, you know, it's, it, we're not trying to get to the to the gold at the end of the, the gold pot at the end of the tunnel, uh, at the end of the rainbow. It's the rainbow. Like that, that's what always felt good to me. I just, you know, I, I love the work and, and, and even more than the work, I love the people that I was working with and it created such an amazing, you know, climate, uh, in which to work at Nike. And so, um, I didn't have a, um, meteoric rise at Nike. It was a, you know, it was, it was a long, what would you call that? Just a steady, you steady know, build. steady build. And, um, because I was super interested in so many different things. And what I loved about Nike was I felt like I could, I could do anything. I could be, you know, I could one day be an Eakin and then I could go out in the field and be an apparel rep. And then I could come back and I could be in footwear product creation and product marketing. And then I could go help start golf and then I could help start equipment and then I could help start merch and then I could go back to product as a CFL, and then I could get into a general manager role, which was like the potato head of all these things. And so for me, the matrix, I always felt great um, security in a matrix setup because I loved, I loved being able to make decisions, and I loved um, you know setting a vision for a team to then deploy against, you know, I loved being part of all that. And I knew that the matrix was never going to let us, never going to allow us to fall too far. So I, I felt a lot of comfort with that matrix because I always knew I had support around me. So that's kind of how the yeah. matrix was never a, I never saw it as a burden or anything like that. For me, it was this comfort of, okay, so you know, gosh, it really came to life probably more than more than ever when we were over in Europe and you've got, you know, one one manager back in Beaverton and you've got a manager over there and you're working, you know, cross-functionally with all these different functional leaders. And um, I just always thought it was like this beautiful sort of I, orchestral. I, I think it's a little bit like, you know, probably top of mind right now, a week out from the uh, election is, is uh is not to get political, but you think about our government and how messy it gets with separation of powers and 
you've got the, the legislative, judicial, and executive. And, you know, they're all sort of in theory on equal footing. Mean, the matrix was a similar way where it was, you're not really um, giving any one part of the company. Sales did not ha have any more power than product and brand than, you know, operations and some, you know, other areas. And so it just sort of ensured that really at the end of the day, you know, everybody's got an equal say. Um, you had to then, I think the people that really did well were the ones that could connect the dots the fastest. And, you know, again, could really understand how it all, because again, it, it, it's not just about what I may have thought in product. It's, you know, equally about the customer and the, and the consumer we're trying to serve and how does a retailer play a role in that? So set sales, and, yeah. you know, point of view on that to set your product up to be successful. Mm -hmm. Hey, then the brand team's coming in and what's their point of view on really to kind of create a competitive advantage, you know, for that product launch. And, you know, just it, it, again, you really get this kind of like, you know, equal foot. I think what happened is, you know, you had though this matrix that can get a little messy at times, um, I think it evolved into a place where then we got into these category offense and, and these GMs that were sort of on paper seemed to be sort of the final call, but then in reality, they weren't really controlling in, in some of the, those final decisions. And it, I think it, it's, it started to get really burdensome, you know, maybe uh, at, at a certain point here in the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years. Um, and then you had also people that were more siloed. So mm -hmm. you kind of take the, the combination of fewer and fewer people that had this kind of cross-functional experience, they became more siloed. And all of a sudden, all you're hearing from a merchandiser is just their merchandising point of view. And it may have been a little bit uh, dismissive of a sales point of view, a product point of view, a brand point of view. And it, it, it kind of just, I think it became a little bit, maybe a, um, a little bit more challenging in that way. You know, in, yeah. in, in, oh, go ahead. I'll, I'll just interject on that. In 2010, um, you know, my job took us over to London. So I became the GM of running for the UK and Ireland. And then uh, with a, you know, heavy nod to the 2012 Olympics over there. And I still remember, um, you know, Charlie coming over with the executive leadership team. And I remember presenting and I was probably presenting something about run clubs and digital, you know, digital run clubs and how you access, you know, more runners, et cetera. And, and I remember um, Charlie having a question and um, me sort of giving space for that question and for people to chime in. And I, I sort of, you know, jumped in and, and then, you know, Charlie kind of came back and, and I, I remember one of the most beautiful things he said was, he said, come on guys, um, I don't have all the answers. What, what do you think? What do we got? And it, that really stuck with me. I felt so supported and I felt like, man, we're all in this together. And, you know, Brian O'Connor came over. He was our, our GM for the Olympics that year and, you know, working with him was such a treat. Um, and I remember him, you know, we had really worked our Olympics plans. And then we, we, had, we took it to the executive leadership team. And I, and I remember another beautiful thing he said, which was, we've gotten it to this place. And this is, the, this is as good as we can make this. And now we need your eyes on it. And so it's this very, like, vulnerable position to be in to say, you know, we feel really good about the work we've done. Now help us make it better. And, uh, you know, that, that to me was just, those are, those are some of my, my most favorite Nike memories when people really opened themselves up to feedback and collaboration. And I, I, I love that approach of, you know, allowing a, a group of talented individuals to react to your work. And I think I, I just to mirror that, I was just going to say almost a similar thing just in regards to like being all together as one and, and having that kind of mentality of like, we don't have all the answers, but let's all work together yes. um, in, in that perspective. And I, and I love that. And I think that's 
one of the biggest moments for me as well during my time at Nike is when we had those kind of, or that kind of mentality, Yeah, um, man, we could have done anything. Right. And it, it came out always so good when it, when those, those situations happen yes. for sure. Megan, can you talk a little bit? I mean, obviously you had um, the experiences in Geo and um, EHQ coming back to Beaverton, um, it, you know, in like 2014, it looks like. Can you talk a little bit maybe about coming back into the company in, in, in Beaverton at that time? I shouldn't say coming back to that company, but coming back to Beaverton at that time. And then um, where kind of your transition from Nike and, and maybe give us just a little bit of background on that, if that's okay to ask about that. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, so, um, you know, loved being out. Uh, we loved being in London. We loved being in Amsterdam and working in Hilversum. And at that time, uh, Chris was also working in Hilversum and, you know, uh, jumped into a really cool um, club club soccer position. For me, you know, I was the GM of running for Western Europe. Great team, hardworking you know, we're talking about, let's double the business in three years. Ah, actually, let's make it two years. Let's double in two years. We got this. And um, just a really, again, fun entrepreneurial time. And I went to Bert and I said, hey, we're, you know, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna have to go back. Um, I think it was at my, my mid-year in my second year. And we had determined that our kids were sort of coming up on the ages where it was just time. It, it was, it was getting hard. When and we had already put in two years in London yeah. and then we're heading into our second year. In Amsterdam. Yeah. And it was just getting tougher with both of us working. We were, we traveled all the time. Um, and, and then we also, we had grandparents back here who were at an age when being grandparents would still be a lot of fun for them. And we felt like, you know, it was time. So in that mid-year, I remember saying to Bert, you know, yeah, we're going to have to call it at the end of this year. And he and, and he had said, hey, can, can, can we get you to sign on for, for one more year? And I said, no, you know, we're going to have to call it. And um, I, I, I made the grandparent comment, you know, I said, we got grandparents back there. And and he said, well, heck, I can rent you some grandparents here. So it was a really, you know, it was just a fun, it was a fun time to be there. We were, we were again, sort of entrepreneurial, developing things. So once you put that out there though, that, yeah, you know, we're going to have to go back, then you're a little, you, you know, you're, you're, you're vulnerable, right? Uh -huh. Because set, you, you know, you've declared like, I'm not going to be able to stay here. And so, you know. What, what you got back there. And I will say that it took all the way until like May. Well, we were supposed June. to you know, move back in the summer. Yeah. And it was still in May. We were coming back from a trip to Normandy. Yeah. I remember we were driving through Belgium and all loaded up in the car. I think even with my mom yeah. with us. And, uh, you know, Megan's phone rings and yeah, I get the call and it's, you know, so, so we already know we're coming back. We've actually, I, you know, I've Everybody come, be quiet. Don't, I, don't talk. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I've already come back here and found the kids school. So it's sort of like, man, I hope this is going to turn out all right. And, you know, the offer was, Hey, what would you think about coming back and leading uh, basketball for North America? And I remember just saying, sweet, <laughs> and, you know, and, um, and we didn't have much more conversation because obviously we were uh, driving on some cobblestone road in the middle of nowhere, but I was so excited, you know, that really brought things full circle for me being raised by big Dave, um, you know, always playing basketball, always talking about basketball, eating basketball, sleeping, smelling basketball. I mean, that just is what we did. And so coming back, um, I was super excited about, and it was, um, it was, it was, it was a tougher, um, repatriation, reentry. Re re yeah. Um, first of all, just being gone for years, it's, it, it was harder than I thought it was going to be. I think because, you know, we, this is our home, so there really shouldn't be anything difficult about it. 
and then it just is, you know, there's, there's like from, from the littlest thing to, to just, you know, how you approach work, uh, differently, you know, my frame of reference was different then, you know, I had worked on the Olympics, I had worked on running, I had, I, my eyes had been open to multiple, multiple cultures and, um, how you sort of navigate and, 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 and try to chameleon yourself, uh, to being somebody that could really pull out the best across, you know, cross-culturally. Then you get into the world of basketball and it's, you know, it's, it, it, it was tough. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to lie. Nobody was really that interested in European examples of work. And I remember, you know, that's what I had. Um, I, you know, I had, I had lots of experience prior to London and one of my most favorite jobs was the one I left to go to London, which was the CFL of core performance. It's still to this day, one of my best experiences at Nike, because it, it really hits what you touched on earlier, John. And it was this virtuous cycle where it didn't matter where the idea came from. It was just, we were just rocking, you know? So, so then to come back and I remember Nike instilled this thing and I would never do it again. I would, and I wouldn't recommend it. It was this, um, God, do you remember where, I can't remember what they called it, but they basically had like an HR person come in and they allowed your team to interview you. The HR person met with your team first. It was, it must've been part of the sort of on, it was an onboarding (laughs) and it was kind of brutal to be honest, because it was very formal. And, um, one of the things, one of the pieces of feedback that the team had given to the HR person. So basically the HR person would interview the team and then you're brought in and you, you get, they sort of download with you. So it's kind of awkward. And one of the things though, that was on their list of like, Hey, enough already is, you know, enough already with the European examples. And I remember saying like, well, you know, let's, uh, let's create some great North America basketball examples and I'll start using those. But I didn't have any of those right then. And I actually felt like North America basketball could learn a lot from what we had done over in Europe. And so I would say that re-entry um, wasn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. However, I was jumping into basketball, which I absolutely loved. Um, I was surrounded by basketball. Um, we talked about basketball. We, you know, I mean, it was just, um, God, it was really, really. It's bigger than life. It was bigger. Basketball, you know. And it was my upbringing. You know, it just absolutely brought everything full circle. So, you know, my 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 uh, big Dave had passed on, um, but my brothers, you know, it was like a family affair. My brothers were psyched. Uh, My brother Neil came up and and helped me um, introduce a holiday. I forget the year, but a holiday line uh, to the sales rep. So. He and I did a deal on the Stanford stage and it was this tribute to Big Dave. And then we worked in, um, you know, how that was even remotely relevant to the new LeBron. Um, And it was just fun. You know, we really, really had a good time with it. So, Chris, I would love to hear your perspective as you moved with obviously Megan (laughs) back to the States. Did you guys, did you have the same similar kind of like transition or was yours completely different? You know, I I would say, um, you know, both of us kind of had the experience that we had heard from so many others, you know, so for technically, you know, Megan was the expat. And so often you hear about these incredible experiences. They, they, they offer you these, these incredible jobs. You go have that experience. And then the, their, um, their plan on how to then build upon that new, really valuable experience, you know, that that they don't necessarily have a a great, well thought through orchestrated plan on the back end. So we were with Megan waiting until the last minute, which is pretty typical of what we had heard and, you know, from others and friends. And then uh, in the few that actually are kind of like a, some sort of a package um, where you've got a, a spouse that's also working for the company, it's always then, 
okay, now good luck. You got to go find yourself a job. You don't really have anybody even kind of on campus looking out for you. So fortunately, you know, I'd spent enough time in global footwear before uh, leaving for Europe. And in between, I got went back to school and got my MBA. And I think it just kind of, for me, helped my maturity and kind of just open up my mind to kind of where I wanted to take my career and my sort of second half of my career. And so I kind of built upon some of that, had a really cool experience um, running strategy for our clubs and federations over in Europe. So again, for a soccer guy, getting to go, you know, travel and spend a lot of time with, you know, Barcelona and uh, Manchester United and, you know, top, top, you know, sports marketing partnerships that we had. Uh, you bring that back in and then I was able to tap into my, my footwear, global footwear kind of network and connections. And that's where, you know, Phil McCartney and I were both product directors uh, years earlier, he and running myself in training we'd always had a lot of respect, you know, for each other. At this point, he was now heading up a brand new, bigger, bolder sort of running vision at the time. And he wanted to bring me back in and uh, oddly enough to, to work in core performance. So I'd always heard, I knew a lot of the people, it was kind of considered one of the best teams in global footwear. And so I got to go over then and, and have my own experience coming back into footwear through core performance. Um, you know, did that for a couple of years, did, uh, inline, uh, performance running for a couple of years before this last, you know, three plus years in Nike by you on the, on the digital customization. So, um, that was kind of my kind of re-entry back into campus. Got it. Um, so I have to ask, you know, as, as you guys, um, you know, or, coming back into to Beaverton and you've had this experience just around the, the culture, um, the growth of the company. I mean, even just in like sheer like geography in terms of the, the real estate that Nike was starting to take up um, in Beaverton at the time. Can you guys speak to anything just like from a cultural perspective that you guys noted that things were changing, um, you know, just with your perspective and being there, you know, in the early days and, and how it had evolved? Yeah, I might start this one. Um, I really felt the cultural shift uh, with that um, kind of administrative shift um, away from Charlie, uh, Gary, when that happened, I was over in, we were over in London and just heading over to, to Amsterdam. And I felt that immediately. I felt it um, like everything we've just described, um, it, it wasn't there. I mean, it, and it, and it happened fast. Um and I, it's, it's almost easier to describe it in terms of what it wasn't. And so like all those things that we used to, all the words we used, the collaboration, you know, the, the trust, the nurturing, the betting on people, um, it just shifted. Um, and we've talked about this quite a bit in this household because it, you know, it ended up resulting in, in me leaving in 2016 um, but it was this idea of, you know, there was kind of one way there was, um, I think the, I'd say like, like style over, over substance, maybe, um, I don't know if you want to. Yeah, I think it just, you know, again, out. I kind of go back to a really good question earlier on the matrix. And I think that unfortunately it kind of got into this dangerous place where, then the function started to, they had a more of a siloed, everything kind of revolves around my function and my role uh, versus more of an enterprise wide thinking. And, and I think that there became this kind of almost like power struggle. Um, not, 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 you know, I, I think there's been well-documented on individuals, but even just like, I would say like functions, like mm -hmm. this function's more important than this other or, now we're starting to move into this really, you know, digital was really accelerating as well. And I think probably some areas of the company got um, uh, unnecessarily diminished, uh, prematurely diminished. 
And I think that that really started to feed into some kind of negative behavior, you know, that we saw. And, and that took it, the culture at the company took some hits, mm-hmm. you know, um, still a fantastic, you know, place to, and I got a chance to step away from the company for a couple of years too. And you get to see what else is out there. And some of it's super exciting. And then also you realize, you know, where Nike's got this kind of like, you know, formula, this, like the secret sauce that kind of makes it all sort of still a compelling place to, to be, but it was evolving into uh, something that felt a bit less collaborative. Uh, and, and I just feel like, you know, it, it, it was, you, you lack that kind of empathy. Um, you know, we, we've talked a little bit, the two of us, and, and I kind of came up with this, we, we were talking about it a little bit is it was almost a little bit of back to basketball that you've heard so much, you know, from us. The Always last goes hour. back to basketball. basketball. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, I said, you know, it's a little bit like Showtime 80s, you know, 90s, you know, where, you know, you, you, you know, the, the, the pinnacle, you had Kareem Magic, you had um, James Worthy, you had Kurt Rambis doing some dirty work, uh, you know, you had uh, Cooper, like it just like on and on on any given night, there could be two or three different stars or, or players stepping up to play a really big role. And that's, that's, I think what was so great about Nike for so, so long. And then all of a sudden it kind of almost evolved into a little bit of like almost the modern NBA where, you know, we're, we're, we're putting everything behind maybe one or two players signing for a max contract. And then, as those players go, so goes the whole season, the club, the franchise, everything. And I think it's, there's some interesting kind of parallels between that. Um, and I think what Nike's kind of done the last couple of years is try to uh, undo some of that and try to get back into that kind of more Lakers showtime sort of any given night, you've got different players trying to step up and, and play big roles. Right. And the success of the team is, is, is more important is the thing yes. versus the success of an, of an individual. And I, I think we, we started to see a lot of that. And then for me, you know, I really ran kind of straight headlong into workplace bullying in a way that I had never experienced, uh, actually never experienced in my life or in my work. Um, and that, Um, it wasn't the first time I had experienced workplace bullying and it wasn't the first time I had experienced sexism, um, shaming. Um, but it was the first time that, you know, I could not get around, uh, the pick, you know, I, um, I, I, I couldn't fight through it. And I, I, and my, um, wiring is such, and my upbringing is such that you muscle through everything. And I couldn't with this. Um, I, and it really, to me was a reflection of the approach in culture that Chris just highlighted. And we've talked about like, did the culture change at Nike? And you know, the culture has really always been of sport, but it 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 took this it took this um, you know sort of negative turn, um, and th- that it was a very very tough time for me. Uh, I raised my hand for help, um, and I, I I just didn't get it. So that's yeah. And I always say yeah. I, I said for years and years before Megan ran into this that I think part a big part of her success was a lot of what you've heard about her background but in particular growing up with five older brothers and in her household and I think she she was really um, uniquely able to work really really well in a male-dominated company I think because of her upbringing but then also one of the few that um, really had very very strong relationships with other females and leaders within the company and so then to, to run into what she ran into and not have kind of the 
okay, okay first pull the first trick out of my bag to, to work through it. Well, that didn't work. Let me go back into the bag and like, just kind of keep going back and just not getting the results. You could see it just really demoralize her. You know, I had to watch that for a couple of years until basically we're looking at each other, just like, this isn't, this isn't worth it. You know, you, you know, got to get you out of here. Yeah. It was always, yeah. the, I mean, you can hear it in our voice, how we talk about, you know, back in the day is always about the passion and the curiosity. And, you know, it was sort of an algorithm that, you know, um, if that, that side is such, then it's, you know, we're all in. And then what happened is, you know, we have kids and that, that algorithm gets out of whack that, you know, your passion starts to wane. Um, you know, nothing you're doing is working. You're diminished, demoralized, um, you know, you're disappeared basically. And it, it, it's a, it's a hard one to grapple with for sure. And for us, the answer then became, you know, you raised your hand, um, you didn't get the help that you needed. And, um, in fact, they kind of don't know what to do with you now. And that's not a good spot to be in. Yeah. I, I, I think, Obviously, getting to know you guys, number one, has been so good. And number two, just Megan, watching you through LinkedIn, I'm a big advocate of leadership and, and anti-bullying as well. And so I think you're, you you say it um, very well in, in socializing it because, you know, I think a lot of companies need to... <laughs> start realizing it's it, it's a, it's a cliche thing to say but it's you know we say it we even said it at Nike is like that one team one dream right and you guys said it with the examples with with basketball and um i just think a lot of companies now need to realize that it's not you know about bowling it's a, it's, it's it's we got to correct it right and, yeah. and we got to have the right leadership to do that i think you guys again bringing it back said it best is like person who's empathetic is able to listen more of like, how can we work together and figuring out the answer? Um, and I hope a lot of companies will listen and kind of see where that's going. And I think you being a leader with kind of the wing women um, program as well, I think it's, it's something that Jesse and I have spoken to like Jana and, and a few others about there's such huge advocates of it. And, and um, we can't thank you enough for being a, a person of just being there for others. Who are going through either the similar situations or um, situations that you know they need to speak with someone and yeah. so forth. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it because it's you know it's a it's the undiscussed it's the undiscussable topic uh, is what I'm finding. So I'm I'm studying it a lot. You know, when I left Nike, I was you know I was fascinated by it and I was horrified by it. And the fact that it had happened to me, I was stunned by because I've, I've told you about Big Dave and my mom, right? Like, like, wow, how does how does this happen? And then as I studied it and got, and got to a better understanding with it, it I understood that well, it, it didn't have anything to do with me. Um, it's a power play, and you know, generally, it's coming from somebody who is you know a, a scared person in a scary body and doing scary things. And so um, it's been really interesting to learn about. But and with that, what I'm learning is it's it's really not discussed that much. It's this kind of quiet, secretive thing. It's hard to prove. Um, I had a conversation with a woman just this morning and she said, God, I'd be really interested to know, like, what what are the steps that you should take? And, you know, when you do run into this and I've got ideas around that. But I think the the deeper question is what you bring up, which is you know, to really hit it at the source and to ensure that, um, you know, corporate cultures understand it and um, know how to define it, know what it looks like, know how to talk about it, um, and know that it, there's just no place for it. And so determining what they're going to do, um, you know, to, to make for a healthy workspace for all. Yeah. Hundred um, percent. Well, first of all, we usually ask everybody this question, this last question. And so, if you guys could go give yourself, your younger self, some advice, um, without knowing what the journey was or anything like that, like as your younger self, what advice would you give you guys? 
Yeah, yeah. I was I was thinking on this one. I, I always get a little nervous when I get asked these kind of questions. I'm not uh, I'm not prophetic, you know, sort of deep well of of uh, sage advice. But I was that's not on this that's one. not true as you yeah. as you picked up. What yeah. what I kind of get back with was um, you know this this company we we talk about this all the time. We have for for a long long time is uh, this company has brought the two of us together. It's showed us so much, uh, really personally, professionally, it, it's shown us the world, literally, you know, our kids were raised on campus in some respects. Uh, and I, I think one of the things that really the biggest thing I take away is if, if advice would be almost sort of, there is a, a big, bold world out there that's, that there are people and ideas and cultures that are doing incredible, incredible things. And it's almost like, hey, don't take the first offer in your sort of parochial, you know, immediate environment that you may have grown up with. If you're a young adult and trying to figure out, you know, how to put food on your table, be a little bold and maybe get outside your comfort zone, get outside your immediate environment and go explore what's out there. And you can always come back to what you know but it's sort of like, go find out what you don't know and, uh, and see what's out there. And if that, you know, just is rich personal experiences, that's incredible. Um, if it's a job, you know, and a professional track, that, that's great too. But uh, there's just a lot going on and, and just be open, be open and, and, and force yourself to go get out into some of those things and, and be a little uncomfortable for, for a bit. Cause it, it, it opens up some amazing doors. I'd probably tack onto that. Um, this kind of idea of be open, uh, you know, where I go is like be vulnerable. Like that's, it's, that's not a sign of weakness. That's a sign of being a human being. Um, and so I probably tell my younger self, like, be, it's okay, you know, be vulnerable. And then maybe if I had a second talk, second opportunity to, to talk to my younger self, I might, I might say press pause, like it, it flies by, you know, even getting to talk about all these great memories, like, you know, take, take your time with it, enjoy it, celebrate it. Oh, I love that. Well, Jesse and I are super stoked. This is <laughs> this has been so good. Like, and to be honest, I think this is going to have to be a two part series. Just oh my FYI, God. guys. <laughs> so, <laughs> part two, right? <laughs> <laughs> so we are super appreciative um, for your guys's time. Um, just know, like, we always offer J- J- Jesse and I is just like we're a phone call or email or LinkedIn message, whatever that may be um, away. And so if you guys ever want to connect or do anything else or have ideas or just talk, we're open for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, this is a, this is a great uh, conversation for us. Obviously I'm, you know, four years, four years out of it, uh, out of Nike. Chris is more recent. I think this is a really, it's a little bit like wing women for me. It's such a, um, comfortable, soft place to land. And we really appreciate it. And it also highlights just so many of the positive, great experiences that we had there, um, which is really nice. For me, I think it might be interesting at some point to to do something on workplace bullying, maybe with a couple of other people we could do something around that. I think that could be really interesting if if you guys feel like that's a subject that you might want to delve into deeper, more deeply. And I know Chris and I are open to, you know, any anything yeah. like that um, with, with yeah. you know, whether it's that topic or another one. Yeah, I'm a big believer of um, corporate anti-bullying. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've never, I'll say experienced it, but I've had family members or friends that have dealt with it and and i'm just so i'm always in shock pretty much how like when they tell me these stories so i'm just like this is so like injustice and like i can't believe that they're 
you know, in that position to do that. But anyway, um, yes, I'm fully on board, whatever you guys do for that. I'm a big advocate of that. So, yeah. Great. Thanks. Thanks to you guys for giving us the opportunity to share our story. Thanks so much, guys. Really appreciate thank, it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs>